Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? I'm so happy to be here. Uh, we have been in this series called Why. Uh, why do Christians do the things that they do? And we've talked about um, why we gather on Sunday mornings, why we uh, are involved in this thing called the covenant and what that is, why we commit to things. And today I want to talk about why, why do Christians talk about this personal relationship with God? Because before I really understood who Jesus is, honestly, this was just weird to me. Uh, and I, there was this lady in my, in my church growing up, and her name was Vicki Sidarsky. And I'll never forget her because, well, number one, she's the reason I found Jesus. Um, one of the huge reasons. But number two, she always talked about God as if he was this personal being to him. Uh, to her. And um, she, she would talk about this relationship with God, and quite honestly, I just thought she was weird. And she invited me to think this way. And I don't know if you've ever been invited to think a certain way. It's weird. Let's just be honest. I don't really like being told how to think uh, or invited to think a certain way. Uh, do you remember the last time you were invited to think a certain way? Uh, I was invited to think a certain way this morning when my wife's like, are you going to wear that? (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, That has happened before. It didn't happen this morning. Uh, But maybe you've been invited to think a certain way. And I don't think we like being told how to think. I don't really think we like being told what to do. Do you remember the last time you were told what to do? Maybe it was on Friday when your boss said, I'm going to need you to work this weekend. Uh, Or maybe it was uh, your parents, if you live with them, uh, I'm going to need you to clean up. Uh, Clean your room, clean the dishes, clean this. I'm going to need you to... We don't really like being told what to do. I don't think. And I don't think we like being told what to believe. There's elections coming up, and man, there are knocks at my door, and people are like, can I just have five minutes of your time? And I'm thinking, is it really just going to be five minutes? Okay, go. Well, do you believe that, you know, we need that, yeah, yeah, and and I need you to think this way. I need you to believe this so that you vote this way. And I think we get a little bit leery of that stuff. And I think that happens oftentimes in church world. Uh, And I don't, Like, I don't hate much. I don't even really like to use the word hate, but I extremely dislike being told what to think or what to do or what to believe. And I get really leery when churches go down that road and they're like, this is how you need to think or this is how you need to behave or this is what you need to do. I just get a little bit scared about those places. Um, And some churches even say, you know, first... We, we need you to behave. You need to behave like you're a Christian. And after you behave like you're a Christian, then you need to believe the right things. And I'll tell you what the right things are. And then after that, then you can belong here. Then you'll fit in. And uh, I, I don't like that. Um, I don't want to rip on churches. I believe God called me to the church and that's one of the things that, that's why we started a church, not something different. Uh, but, and the church is the body of Christ, and Jesus calls the church his bride, so we shouldn't 
I don't want to be a person that, that rips on the church, but I don't like this list on the left. First you behave, then you believe. No, yep, then you belong. Now, now I do want to be a church like the right. I believe that is the type of church that Jesus called us to. Uh, that was the vision that I had in Honduras when God made it very clear to me that's something that we prayed about. The people that started, many of whom are here on their knees praying and have rolled up their sleeves saying, this is the type of place that we're going to be, where we're going to belong and believe and become. And what I mean by those things is, is that we're going to belong like you are loved and accepted. And they're not just, this isn't a cliche phrase, like you are truly loved and accepted and you're safe to be here wherever you're at in your faith journey. So if you have questions that diverge from the normal uh, and you're working through things, there isn't an end goal that we have for you. Um, we're, that's what we mean when we say accepting community. We're, we believe like that we should be accepting people because Jesus should invade all of our life, every point, not just when we gather in this space, but when we're anywhere. Jesus should be with us, and, and we should be thinking uh, and believing and, and acting and becoming um, a person that we're always the same at. I didn't say that very clearly. I'm sorry. But what I, I guess the, probably one of the easiest ways to say that really clearly is um, yesterday. We, uh, well, actually Friday. It started Friday when Corey and Jacob went over to this guy Kevin's house uh, because Robbie's been attending for a while and Robbie has a friend named Kevin who uh, is wheelchair-bound pretty much, who, who had to move. Kevin's never been here before. Kevin may never come here. Uh, but Robbie said, this guy has no one else to help him move and he can't really afford a moving company. Is there any way we can help? Uh, and it's coming up quick. And Corey and Jacob spent five hours at Kevin's house in West St. Paul loading a truck. And then the next day, Jacob, uh, Chad, and Mario, and Ron, and I spent time moving his stuff. Not because we wanted him to come here, not because he was a Christian, not because he was going to believe a certain way or behave a certain way, but because we wanted to say that being an accepted community, being an accepting community means that that we show love to people with no strings attached. Because that's what we see Jesus doing, showing love to people with no strings attached and showing this picture of the kingdom of God. And so that is this amazing example. And, and Corey in particular just lived it out so well because what happened the day after he gave five hours to helping this guy he didn't know, I go over because someone asked me to help them from here move into their place, and I go over there, and who's there? Corey. He just decided, I'm going to spend some more hours over here to show these people, regardless of how much you attend here, I'm going to show love to you. It was beautiful, and that's what we mean when we talk about belonging. But we do talk about believing, and what we mean by believing, I think, is having a faith and a trust in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, who's divine and human. Jesus, who's the holy king, who's crowned by God, who has a spiritual kingdom, and one day that spiritual kingdom will be united with the earth. And things on earth will make sense. Justice will actually be done. Love will actually always win. It will never fail. And we only see that in part right now, but we will see that one day fully in the future forever. And that day is coming. And God says, it will be done. That's his kingdom plan. And that's the person who alone lived, died, and was raised to life, who one day will be the person, the first one to be raised. And all those people with him who trust in him will be raised. That person is the one that we believe in. So first we belong, then we believe, and then we don't even talk about behaving, but we talk about becoming. Um, Where as we give ourselves to God, as we submit to the Holy Spirit, which just means choosing to have the Holy Spirit live through us, then we become more like Jesus. Where it's not a set of rules or behaviors, but instead this choice to live moment by moment. Now, I don't know about you, but if you had to choose to be a part of one of these organizations, which one would you choose? And it's not an easy answer, because honestly, the, the, the list on the left is cleaner You can look and see people and go, oh, you're in and you're out. It's it's just easily more easily to define. You can actually look at external behaviors and say, oh, they're in, they're not. So it's cleaner, but it leads to exclusivism and it leads to judgmental thoughts. And so I will fight tooth and nail to never be that. But I will also fight with all of my being to be more like the list on the right, even though it's harder, even though it's messier, because I see that being more of who Jesus was and more of what he called people to. And it got him in trouble a lot, but that's what he did. See, believing and belonging are on both sides. But if you're ever wondering if we're going to make you believe something, the answer is no. No. Um, We don't even really want to ask you to believe something. Now, we're going to invite thoughts, questions, and, and some of those questions are going to be about faith because we're a faith community. And so whenever, like, we are in this group of churches where we get a little help, And so one day they're going to say, oh, you guys are ready to be a real church, and that might even be next year. And when we do that, then they'll talk about, okay, what does it mean to commit? Because we talked about committing last week, and really we have to commit to belong to something. We can feel a part of something, and that's belonging, but we, we need to commit. So what does formal commitment look like? Is that covenant members? Is that mission partners? Whatever language we use, at some point we'll talk about that. And two questions We're going to ask, just two, but we're going to ask two questions about faith. Invite you to consider them, not tell you what to think, though. The first question is this. Do you confess Jesus as Lord, or as Savior, and promise to follow him as Lord? And the second question is, do you accept the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, as the Word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct? 
Now, why do we want to ask these questions? Because that's a fair question. And, and the answer to that explains what we were going to talk about at the beginning. Why do we talk about this personal relationship with God thing? Okay, so I'm going to start with number two first. Uh, do you accept the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, as the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct? Now, why do we talk about that? And the reason I think we talk about that is because the Bible, day after day, week after week, year after year, century after century, is the only and most fully reliable place that gives us a picture of who God is. It, no matter how much people try and come against it, no matter how much they, they fight it, it just continues year after year to be the only and most fully reliable picture of who God is and what he's like. And we call it the word of God because we believe that it's God's story to us rather than just some people writing a story about God. But actually God's story to us his, who he is, and how he has moved in the world and with a group of people, and, and we believe that. And, and so that's kind of where we go. And maybe you're not there, maybe you don't believe that, and that's okay. If you have questions about that, we will be a place where questions are okay. Where we can ask the hard things, where we don't have to have the right answers, where we can disagree even on these questions, but we're going to say these are the two questions that are going to be the most important to us. Uh, And if we were going to talk a lot more about the Bible, we'd spend more time on that one, but we're not. But the second question we ask is, really the first question, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and promise to follow him as Lord? This is a question about who Jesus is to you. And to me. Now, why this one? Uh, I think this one because life centers around Jesus. He literally is the pivot point of history. His life divides A.D. B.C. It it for all time. Everything comes back to who Jesus is. Everybody asks about Jesus. But why do we say it this particular way? Because a lot of times. People will ask, maybe in your life, but I know in mine, do you believe in Jesus? Anybody heard that before? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you been asked that question? Do I believe in Jesus? I'm getting a few nods. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Not enough to raise my hand, but I'm going to nod. So, all right. I believe in Jesus, and I do. I believe in Jesus, and I think we find that from one of the most well-known scriptures, which is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I love this verse. I, I, I know this verse. I teach my kids this verse. I am all for this verse. But I think this word believe can trip us up. We can, we can separate it from the bigger thing. Uh, And I guess the best way to explain it might be um, this. My son, some of you know, uh, he lost a tooth this week. He's been very excited about this. uh, He's six, and he's just like everyone in my class has lost a tooth, and I haven't lost a tooth. And this one's been wiggly for like three and a half weeks. And finally, he just was using his tongue in the mirror, and he just, 
And he comes out and he's like, look, dad. And there's just blood like all over the place spewing out. But he is so proud of this moment. And he goes back in and blood's coming out. And his sisters are like, hey, Luke, tooth fairy. So they helped him compose a letter. Uh, I know, they're really great. They're older sisters. And uh, I got a dime. I got a dime for my first tooth. And my sister got a quarter, and I was a little bitter. Um, not anymore, well. And uh, my, my girls, they got a dollar, but they decided, um, we're going to go for the gusto here. Two dollars. And I, I was prepping him, and I said, Luke, you know, you, you, know, you might, you, you think anyone's going to visit you tonight? He's like, tooth fairy. You think you're going to get a dollar for your first tooth? He goes, I think I'm going to get two dollars. And I said, two dollars? He's like, yeah, I wrote a note. (laughs) You know what? Luke got two (laughs) dollars. You might judge me, but, but because Luke believed in and believes in the tooth fairy, he got two dollars. Now, now I want you to catch this, because I could be wrong, but I don't think you need to, to believe in something. I don't think you need to have a relationship with that thing, okay? Because unless I'm really missing it at home, Luke has no relationship with the tooth fairy. <laughs> but because he believed in the tooth fairy, and believes in the tooth fairy, until spoil it for he gets $2. No relationship there, though. And that's the thinking that I think we don't want to creep in, that I don't necessarily think John 3.16 is leading us to, but could if we misunderstand it. Like, I can believe in Jesus, but have no personal relationship with him. I can have no connection point. I just believe, and then I get. It's not $2, but maybe it's heaven. Maybe it's some blessing. Maybe it's that thing I want. If I believe in, then I get. And that's not what this is saying. And it doesn't answer the question of why Christians continue to talk about a relationship with God. Now, I think the place that does answer it is a little later in John. So if you have a Bible, you want to go to John 17. In John 17, he has... uh, there is kind of a climax and a crescendo moving in John's story of who Jesus is. And so in John 13, there's this pivot point and a change. Jesus um, washes his disciples' feet. It's a very humble, very demeaning job. He then eats the Passover meal with them. Remember, they're Jewish. This is gigantic for them. The Passover meal is huge. He does that. He then uh, talks about the Holy Spirit being a part of their lives and actually Jesus leaving and going to the Father. And as because he leaves, he actually will send the Spirit. They're confused by this. They're distressed by this. So he takes them from this place where they eat the meal into this garden. He's going to pray. And so he prays for them and to God. And this is part of his prayer. And after this, Jesus looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus, 
whom you have sent. Okay, now, now we think the writer's John. It, it, he probably is. And he uses some phrases that are really specific and they don't come up very often in his book. But John loves contrasts. And so John talks about light and dark. And John talks about law and grace and truth. And so he sets these things up in contrast. He also uses some things very specifically and not very often. And one of those things that he uses is this phrase, Jesus Christ, which we see and we kind of think John 3.16. Oh, I know that verse. But this is the only time Jesus actually uses the title Jesus Christ in the whole story of John. And it's the writer only uses it twice in the whole book. This moment and another one. And if that's true, then there must be some specific reason why. Because he uses Jesus, he uses Messiah, he uses the anointed one. He uses all these phrases, but he doesn't use that phrase except for one other time. So I think that's important. And maybe you didn't know that, but maybe you'll go with me on this little track. So if it's important, then we need to know what the other time is, which is John 1, 17. This is his introduction to his story. And so John's talking about Jesus who comes. God, in the, God comes to us in human form. That's Jesus. And he says this. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, whom is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Okay? What I think John is trying to say here is that Jesus, in Jesus and only in Jesus, do we see the most vivid, most full, most real sense of who God is. And what he's like, only in Jesus. Now, if you've spent any time with people and talk about God with those who don't know Jesus. Have you ever thought about some of the things they say? Generally, I think it's not so positive. They see God as distant. They see, um, and maybe it's, maybe we, you, I used to think this, that God is um, kind of capricious, you know, just kind of whimsical. Maybe he's going to be there, maybe he's not, sort of flaky, Uh, all of these pictures that that really aren't connected to this picture of once someone who knows Jesus uh, actually comes to describe God as. Very different, very distant. But John is trying to talk that, that in Jesus we see these true pictures of who God is. And he's using one of his contrasts again. He's saying, the law came through Moses... Grace and truth through Jesus Christ. He's connecting Jesus Christ here to John 17. Why is that? I think it's because he's trying to connect this other really big important thing to him, which is eternal life. He uses it 17 times in his book. Eternal life is very important. He's describing eternal life. And he says, this is where we get it. Eternal life is connected to grace and truth. That's connected to Jesus. And he wants us to know that we can't be We can't truly know God through religion. That's what the law represents, is religion, is us trying to obey God, get to God through these external behaviors. And he's saying we can't fully know God 
through those behaviors, through the law. We can only know God through Jesus, who is grace and truth. And maybe you've tried religion, and it's probably failed you. And this is a place where we don't want to focus on the religion, the law. Not that it wasn't important. It was. But Jesus, it was so important to Jesus that he died for it. So it's paid. It's done. Now we can follow in grace and truth, which is by embodying and following and believing in Jesus. And so this comes through huge in John 3. Jesus has a religious leader come to him at night, one of his light and darkness things, and they're like, you are totally from God. I believe you're from God. And Jesus says, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God, and this guy doesn't get it. He says, but, but there's the law, but there's a certain rules. This is how you do this. And he says, no, there's not a certain rules. This is, you have to be born from above. And he doesn't understand what that means, and he goes through this whole thing in John 3, and he ends with this point here. In John 3, no one has gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, eternal life, that's what he's trying to say here, except the Son of Man. Now just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, this religious leader is someone who has the law. This religious leader is someone who knows the Bible, which is their Old Testament memorizes it, knows it. The story that Jesus is referring to here is from Numbers 21, which may not mean a lot to you, but this is the story of the Israelites. They've left Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've gone to a mountain. They've gotten the law, and then they sort of disbelieved, and then they wandered, and then they're nearing the promised land, and they're still wandering, and they're so bad that God says, you just don't get it. He sends snakes in. They bite these people. They're going to die. It's not good. It's like pandemonium. So God says to Moses, make a bronze snake and have people and put it up on a hill and when people look at it, they'll be healed. They won't die. So Jesus, master, life storyteller, Jesus uses a a passage of scripture from the first five books of the Bible, which for a Jewish leader are gigantic. They're just They're so important. It's after the law. And what is he saying? Life does not come from the law. Life comes from seeing, trusting, and believing. It comes from faith. We are saved by grace, God's grace, through faith. Even before Jesus came, This has been set up. This idea of having faith in the one true God goes all the way back and religion can't save us. Eternal life comes from seeing and believing and trusting Jesus. And and he says that. He says eternal life is is not so much this length of time but instead this this existence, this quality of life. He says it in John 10.10. He says, I have come that they might have life. Same words, eternal life, and have it abundantly. Have it overflowing. Have it to the full. 
um, your translation might say. And so it's this idea that eternal life is connected to this abundant life, this spring of life. One, one of these ideas of the spring of life, a wellspring of life is they don't, a well, especially in artesian well, it doesn't have to do anything. It just has water come out of it. And it, it can be mesmerizing because it just comes. It just flows. It's no work. Wouldn't that be cool if your relationship with God didn't feel like work? If your, if your spiritual reality wasn't a place of striving and struggle where every day you felt like, I have to do something? This is this abundant life, this eternal life that's coming from knowing God. Because remember, John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they would know you, the one true God, and Jesus whom you've sent. So John uses this word know, which is not just knowing something about. That's important. You need to know something about God in order to trust God. Uh, we, we see this in John 1, 17. We've talked about we can know God by knowing who Jesus is. He fully reveals Jesus. But we need to know about him. And when we know about him, things can change. Okay? So if you're still tracking with me, if you know about driving and you pass your driver's test, guess what happens? The world changes. Someday. You, it changes the way you get around. You can drive places instead of just bike. It's great. Uh, if you've watched little kids or you played soccer before, my, my son's six-year-old soccer, and, and it's just like a giant amoeba moving. The ball goes, and this herd of people go. And, and you're like, this is going to take forever. But one day, they know about something. They know that when they kick the ball, it actually travels faster than if they try and run and dribble with the ball, right? This is a revelation. Your, Eric teaches, like, coaches 14 and 15-year-olds, and some of them, 16, 17. They don't get this yet, some of them. But it's, 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 it's a revelation when they, when they learn this. When they can kick the ball and it can go farther than they can run with it, changes the game. Intellectual knowledge does change things. It does. But, and not but, and in the same way, intellectual knowledge, the more we learn about God, it can change things for us. But it can't transform us. If you're married, knowing more and more and more and more about your partner is good, but it can't transform us. To be transformed, we have to know, which is this sense of intimate falling in love. Uh, the word actually is the same as the word in Genesis 4. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, know. Um, in the literal translation, it goes like this. Adam knew Eve, and then they had Cain. Picking up what I'm putting down there? This is such an intimate knowledge that it leads to a child. I can get more specific, but I'm trying not to. So this is the words we use at weddings. Two hearts, two souls, two minds, two bodies becoming one. Like, it can't get any closer than one. This is what John is tapping into. This is eternal life. 
to know God and Jesus Christ, the one he sent, to have intimate, personal, transformational, transparent, connected relationship, not information, relationship. Almost like a falling in love. And if, if, you've been, if you're married and you've fallen in love, it's not just because you know about someone. It's because you know them. You know their passions and their struggles and their weaknesses and their longings and their hopes and their dreams. And, and it almost covers up the things that you don't like. Michael's going to share in a video in a, in a moment about that. But that's what we mean when we talk about a relationship with God. And that's why Christians talk about a relationship with God. Because it's this intimate, close connection with the creator of the universe. It's the only way that, that this set of beliefs, what we affirm, actually affects what we do. It's the only way it changes us. And let's just be honest, if we didn't have that, like what would we have? We'd have either uh, a good, maybe a great, or maybe an average human organization. And we could market it, we could have a cool logo, which we do. Um, We could invite people, but it wouldn't matter and it wouldn't transform anyone or anything if it wasn't connected to Jesus. No, this is eternal life. That we would know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And when we know him, he comes into our lives. He transforms our lives. The Holy Spirit takes up residence, it says. And when the Holy Spirit takes up residence, then you and I don't have to struggle to follow God. We learn moment by moment to stay connected with God. And, and the Holy Spirit, who is God, actually helps us obey God. And if you've seen someone, this is what Vicki Sidarsky had. This is what I didn't get. This is why she was just weird. Because she lived moment by moment with God. She loved people that I just was like, how can you love that person? Because it wasn't her loving them. It was God. This is the type of person that I ask God to make me to be. And that I'm realizing more and more is not about me asking as much as about me just submitting to the Holy Spirit that's already in me and giving me the power to do this. And I'm so thankful that Michael agreed to be recorded to tell us about his relationship with God because I think you'll get a sense of what it means to not just know about and not just know, but have a knowing and growing relationship with the Creator. So listen. One of the things that I've done ever since I was uh, a first believer, I prayed for wisdom and faith. You know, wisdom that I would know that God was real and faith that he would be real to me. And I have been so blessed that God has, uh, he's shown me he's real through many, many answers to prayer. 
One of the things that he really blessed me with is fasting. You know, most people think that fasting is something that you do for, you know, you do for God or, you, you, you know, it's, you're putting aside your stuff and it's, and it's hardship and you're just proving something and, and it's different. It's, a, it's, fasting is a, is a relationship builder. It is, you put aside food for a little while to, to grow closer to the Lord. And usually when I fast, I fast with a purpose. Of, of, um, one time I fasted for my friend Dean, who was, uh, had a kidney transplant and it went into rejection. And I, I believe God told me to fast over that. And I did, and he is now the poster child for kidney transplants. God totally answered that prayer. And during that fast, I felt so close to God that with a song in my heart, uh, just Bible verses, when I prayed, Bible verses would come out. It wasn't me, but it was my closeness with God, and, and I am more the person that I really want to be when I'm fasting. I'm loving, I'm kind, I'm patient. But those experiences don't last forever, and you can't always stay that close to God. And so you end up going into valley experiences to where you start questioning your, even your relationship any relationship, using marriage as an example, has its ups and downs. There are times of incredible closeness. There are times when you kind of go your own way. And I used to be worried about my marriage too, you know, with whether this that beautiful young co-ed I married would, would stay married to me, you know? Now especially that she knows all my flaws. She knows that I'm not perfect in every way, like I may have been able to pretend for a little while. And my relationship with the Lord is the same thing. It's sometimes I am all I am the man that I want to be. I barely even sin every the, during the day. But other times I go my own way. And it's, these are the times when I really most question my, my relationship with the Lord. But He has promised always to take me back. And then I correct that, it's no, he's promised to bring me back. So when I stray, when I go away, he reaches out. He reaches out to me and he, he brings me back to him. And that is what gives me great comfort. It's not because I'm perfect. It's because when he looks at me, he sees me as righteous and pure because of the sacrifice that his son made for me. So that's where my relationship is based, not on me or anything that I can do or will do. Because he knew when he chose me, he knew me. And every sin I would do and everything I would be, he knew it from the very beginning when he chose me. And that's where I get my confidence in the Lord, even in my lowest moments. Those verses that we sing and, and of looking to heaven and, and Christ holds everything together, your life might not be in a place where everything is holding together, where it's literally falling apart. And the, in a moment, the worship team is going to start playing again. And if, if you're in a place where that's true, uh, can I just invite you back to our prayer space? Uh, Michael, who you saw in the video, and Wendy, who came up, uh, are on our prayer team, and they would love to pray with you because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the faithfulness of Jesus. Jesus is the one who holds things together. It says in Colossians that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And through him, God created everything 
the things we can see and can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. And Christ is the head of the church, his body. He is the beginning. He is supreme over everything. He holds all things together. He holds all things together. That's what we sing. That's what we're going to sing in a moment before we go. It's not about our efforts if we can hold it together. In fact, the more we can't hold it together and we acknowledge that, the more that Jesus reigns. May that be true in your life today and in my life today, that it's about him. For God in his fullness, it goes on to say, was pleased to live in Christ. And through Jesus, God reconciled. That's what Michael said. God brings me back through Christ, through him, through his work and his peace through the cross. And so if you are far away, know that God runs to bring you close to a transparent, intimate, personal connection. Not to make you do anything, think anything, believe anything, or behave any way, but simply to have union, connection with the creator of the universe. So let's sing that chorus one more time before we go and then have a great week.